This is the Startup Pregnant Podcast, episode number five. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Today's episode is brought to you by HippoGive. HippoGive is a new app that donates your change by rounding up your everyday transactions to the nearest dollar. It gives that money to the charities and the nonprofits of your choosing. If you've been wanting to donate to the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, or to disaster relief efforts, you can use this app, and it's a piece of cake to start donating. All you need to do is create an account, choose your charities, and then set your weekly donation cap. Head over to the iTunes store and download the HippoGive app so you can get started today. This podcast is made possible by sponsors like you. Consider supporting this podcast with a monthly donation on our Patreon page. Head to patreon.com slash startup pregnant. We've got folks who we call our coffee friends who donate the equivalent of a cup of coffee each month to make this show possible. And we're backed by companies we believe in that can help make the lives of busy entrepreneurs and parents a little bit easier. If you want to become one of our company sponsors, head to startuppregnant.com slash podcast and get in touch. All right, Startup Pregnant listeners, this episode goes out to all of my ambitious introverts out there. If you have ever struggled to speak up, if you are a quieter person, if you've dealt with any form of social anxiety, anxiety or depression, we get to talk to an amazing human being who deals with all of this, the introversion, the anxiety and the ambition. So Maura Aaron's mealy is the author of a book that's just recently come out. It's called Hiding in the Bathroom, an introvert's roadmap to getting out there when you'd rather stay home. In this podcast, we talk about how she quit 10 different jobs because she realized she didn't like the way that work looked. But when she left to set up her own practice and her own consultancy, she felt a sigh of relief because she could show up and work in these new conditions that were so much better for her. It turned out it was the office setting that wasn't working. It wasn't the work. She's got a really impressive resume, too. She is the founder of an award-winning social impact agency called Women Online. And she's created a database of women influencers called The Mission List. Her work in the internet world has gone back quite a ways. She's been an internet marketer and been working with Women Online since 1999. So fun fact, she helped Hillary Clinton log on for her first internet chat. And she's worked on online campaigns for world leaders and organizations like the United Nations, the Malala Fund, Hillary Clinton for president, for President Obama, for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. She's got a huge history in politics, and she's also got a lot of experience in marketing and online online connectivity. In this episode, we talk about her role in speaking up for people who don't always get the first voice. We talk about her three pregnancies, her youngest one is now two, and how she discovered what not just postpartum depression is, but what antenatal depression is. Postpartum depression is really much more commonly known, although we still need to talk a lot more about it. But antenatal depression is so important to talk about because that's when you experience depression during pregnancy. And how do you deal with that? We talk about the surprising challenges she ran into when she became her own boss and how to stay connected to the outside world when you work from home. She's got several rules for reaching out and staying engaged that I just loved hearing from her. And then towards the end of the episode, we talk about what's next for her. What does this book launch mean? And 
why is she excited and hopeful about it? And what are her dreams, which we realize can be kind of nerve wracking to say out loud before they've happened. All right, let's dig in. Oh, and one quick note. We recorded this episode just a few weeks before her book came out. So we get a chance to talk to her about what she's excited for and hopeful for right at that moment before you know whether or not what you hope comes true. So take a listen. And then when you get a chance, go check out her book and let's cheer her on and see how well her book is doing now. All right, everybody, I've told you a lot about Maura in the introduction. She is working on a book right now that comes out really soon. So Maura, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarah. I'm so happy to be here. So the first question I want to ask you is a question I love giving people. What was today like for you? What was your morning like? (laughs) Well, it was my two-year-old's first day at nursery school. And so that is, of course, bittersweet. She's my youngest child of three, and I love nursery school. Like, I want to come back as either a student or a teacher at a really wonderful nursery school. Like, it is just the happiest place you could be, right? And so, but she's my last one to go through. So I was really excited for her, and she was so brave, but I was also sort of sad because she's getting so big. So I did that, and then um, I had to get my other two kids off to school, and one of them was crying. So that was that, you know, like mornings are always a mixed blessing because it's always that moment of like, ah, everyone's gone, and I work at home. So I'm I'm always sort of happy when everyone's gone, but it's like that sort of 6 to 8 a.m. period that's just about me trying to cram work in because I'm crazy and I'm pre-book launch and then like, you know, wiping butts and making breakfast and just, you know, like (laughs) producing as my friend Julia calls it. And then I and then I worked and I'm I'm on deadline for an article. So I've been scrambling and uh, I had a client call. You know, it's just for me, my days are like a melange of a million different things. Hmm. I love it. I love hearing people's mornings because they're all so different. Yeah. And it's like, well, what time did you wake? Okay. And then what happened? And then and then how does this go? And to me, it's just such an indulgence to be able to get a little glimpse. So I want to start by asking you about this book that you've written. You wrote this Mm -hmm. book. It's called Hiding in the Bathroom. Can you tell me a little bit more about what the title means and why you wrote this book? Yes. So the full title is Hiding in the Bathroom, an introvert's roadmap to getting out there when you'd rather stay home. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote the book because I am, I call myself a hermit entrepreneur and I have been for many, many years. I have, it's been 11 years since I've worked in an office for someone else. And I've had my business women online for about six years. Before that, I was, I was freelancing and going to graduate school and having babies. Um, I have had this evolution over the past 10 years in which I realized that I need to work in a very specific way in order to not just be happy, but to do the best work I possibly can. I quit like nine jobs before I was 30. I was talented and ambitious. I still am very ambitious and smart and lucky. I kept getting great jobs and then I kept leaving them. And I thought that it was because I didn't like 
what I did for a living. I, I went so far, actually, I was, a, I was a marketer. I worked in digital marketing first for a bunch of, for women's websites. And then I actually changed and I went to work in politics and I did online fundraising and digital fundraising and blogging. And it was, it was great. I mean, I had a great, great sort of area, right? A very fast growing area. And so it was easy for me to get new jobs, but I kept quitting them. I was so unhappy. I would cry in the bathroom all the time. And I thought after I quit like my ninth job, I was turning 30. I got to go do something else. I actually applied to social work school. I did a total career 180 because I thought I can't, this, this isn't for me. Corporate life isn't for me. Digital marketing isn't for me, yada, yada, yada. I applied to graduate school and to put myself through graduate school, I freelanced. And so I went back to my old customers and clients and I became a freelance consultant for them. And this amazing thing happened. I loved my work. I couldn't wait to do it. I wanted to work all the time, but I did it on my own terms because I was a freelancer. And I realized it wasn't the work that I did that I hated. It was how I had to do it. I hated having to come and sit under fluorescent lights all day just because someone wanted me to be there. I realized that I'm sort of an extreme introvert and people stress me out. I don't, I can't be with people all day. I like quiet. I need to think. So once I could work in the way that I wanted to, not all the time, because let's be realistic, but most of the time, everything changed. And I wanted to look into that and share that with other people. God, I think that's so amazing because I can identify with that so much. And oh, really? Yes. And I, and people are always surprised. But when I worked back in my architecture days, I, I just hate those fluorescent lights. I got oh. this like creepy feeling up the back of my neck. I always felt like I was worried about being interrupted because we had an open office environment. Cause I was like the, the like, you know, best thing ever, according to nobody. Um. <laughs> 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 and, and I just, I found myself constantly like trying to back up into little corners so that I could sit and I could finally have a space to think. And just everything you're saying makes so much sense. It's not just the work, but it's how we work. And I'm just blown away. And I have so many questions for you about this, but what do you think it was about being able to work from home that made it so much better or not from home? Like what do your work conditions look like now? Well, so my ideal week, and again, ideal, this is not happening now as I'm launching this book, that's for darn sure, but is I like to say I'm like three days on, two days off, or actually my ideal is two days on, three days off. So two days a week, I'm a consultant. So I, I travel, right? My clients are all over the place. So what I'll do normally is I have my home base, which is my home office in suburban Boston. And that's like, you know, that's the command center. My team is all virtual. So everyone who works for me is spread around and we run a totally virtual company. And at least two days a week, I'm probably, I might be on a plane, honestly, I'm seeing clients, I'm doing public speaking, I'm doing business development, I'm having lunches, you know, I'm in my Spanx and my makeup and I look like a grown up professional lady. <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, I got to say, like, I like that because like I said, I mean, I am ambitious and I'm not, a, I'm not a total recluse. I'm mostly a recluse. I love my work. I love my clients. I like my colleagues. Like it's, and it gives me a buzz. Like I love giving a good speech, you know, you, you definitely get this buzz. But what I found that I really like is that after I, you know, put in a major day, I can come home. I can be in my yoga pants working from my home office on the phone, but not too much, and really have some some downtime to sit and do my work and on my own schedule. Mm -hmm. It makes so much sense to me. And I, I actually think that a huge portion of the population would identify with needing that kind of 
rhythm or break of when are we always on? When are we medium on? When do we have more slow time or time to actually have extended periods of thought? I just wanted to say one thing. I mean, you know, I, I, I do pitch this as for introverts, but I really don't think it's about that. You know, Paul Graham, the legendary venture capitalist calls it maker time. You know, it's, it's very fundamental to who we are as human beings. It's, it's like we used to play in preschool. <laughs> it's that time to go deep and figure out how the Play-Doh works. And in a culture where social media is so dominant and the cycle of responsiveness is like a hummingbird, right? It's so fast. No one gets enough of that time. And so I think actually it's it's really hard for everybody. I couldn't agree more. It's something that like the dying, the dying thing, the dying commodity in our culture right now is attention and the ability mm-hmm. to have like long chain thought, to think oh. of something for three hours and spend time on it and go beyond the superficial idea or the title or the headline. Totally. So when you shifted and you began consultancy and you started working in this new pattern and you found like, wow, it's not the actual work that I don't like. It's the way that it's being done. What surprised you or what was unusual about that new type of work? Like what were some of the new challenges you ran into? (laughs) Um, There's some that are, I think, particular to my certain kind of temperament and some that are probably more common. For me, it's interesting because I... um, I'm sort of I'm I'm not a depressive but I have I have complicated emotions. I have anxiety and I I go through up and down periods and one of the things that is hard when you work for yourself and you work from home is if you're having a low day, if you have the blues, whatever, it's sometimes really hard to motivate. If no one is making you get up and get dressed and get out there, you really have to be motivated and disciplined to break the cycle and get the hell to work. And um, it took me a lot of years to figure out motivators that would force me to change my mood. And honestly, the most simple one is, is either to like leave the house, even though I don't want to, or have some sort of phone call or interaction with someone that makes me get out of my own head and my own sort of ruminating cycle and pick up my energy again. You have to make sure that you manage your energy and your emotions when you work on your own. A lot of people I know who make the break to work on their own, they start feeling really depressed and low and they can't figure out why. And I think it is because they're used to sort of external stimulation and the connection with other people to regulate their mood. And when you work by yourself, you don't you don't always have that. So you have to be resourceful in that way. And then, you know, I mean, I, I think the other thing is just is sometimes feeling like you may not have peers and mentors, you know, which is, of course, a piece of leadership, no matter what, it can be a bit lonely. But if if you literally don't sit with peers and mentors all day, how do you cultivate that community? You know, where do you go when you have a tough question, or when you even just want to get someone's opinion on something? You've again, you have to build in those systems. Oh, my gosh, Maura, you are speaking like, directly to me. It's also what's your system? I'm curious. Well, so actually, um, Kurt Vonnegut wrote this amazing, there's like a book of his commencement speeches. And he wrote this one piece that's like human beings need 50 people. I, in my geeky way that I do, I ended up being like, okay, well, how would it, what would it look like to 50 people a month? That sounds like way too many. 
But then I did it and I was like, well, that's about 12 people a week. And I started tracking on my calendar how many conversations I had. And when I have at least 12 conversations a week, I feel normal. Like I'm like, oh yeah, I'm myself. I've got confidence. I know what I'm doing. I've like bounced my ideas around with enough people. And these aren't, these aren't client calls. These aren't consultant yep. calls. This isn't a performance because I think those are very different things. Performing and being energetically doing my work is different than like unraveling a thought out loud with a friend. And when I forget to talk to peers or I forget to have those water cooler conversations, then that's when I spiral and by like Friday afternoon, I'm, I'm like, I don't know if my business is working. Oh, I don't God. know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the scaffolding, you know, mm-hmm. actually, it's so funny you say that because I have something in the book, which is which is much more biz dev focused, which is my husband taught me, but he's an entrepreneur. He said, you know, the 10 touches. So one of the things that you really have to do if you do run a ho- any kind of business where you're on your own is you actually have to build in that system. So I make the 10 touches every week, which is, again, just sort of keeping my network fertile, right? And it's not always reaching out and pitching clients. It could be, you know, touching base with an old colleague. You know, it's not quite the same, though, as consulting a friend with a piece of advice. It's mm. not that. It's it's sort of keeping the network growing and active when you don't physically see people. But it's a similar principle. And I think whatever works for you, it does make sense to have that scaffolding. Mm. So by 10 touches, you mean like reaching out and making contact with somebody about an idea or or even being like, hey, I saw your podcast, something, something, something. Okay. Right. Or, or, wow, you know, I ran into so-and-so at the airport two weeks ago and he said that you were in this great new job. And wow, you know, just, just again, because it's all about the relationship. And for me as a hermit entrepreneur, I'm nothing without people on the outside. <laughs> <So> <laughs> right, right. I have to keep that growing. Plus, I like it. You know, it's it's meaningful. Mm, mm. So you just mentioned something that I think is really important too about about mood. And and I was looking at your recent Twitter feed before we got on this call. You recently tweeted this article about a pregnant woman who has depression. Mm. And you also shared another study that shows that up to 20% of kids have mental issues at schools and they're going unnoticed or untreated. And so this makes me realize or kind of think when I think about your body of work, if I can lightly summarize, about what it means to have an experience that's maybe like not the quote unquote normal experience. Mm -hmm. You know, to be an introvert or even to be a woman or to be a, a different looking entrepreneur or to have mental issues like anxiety and depression. What does it mean to you to be focused on opening up a lot of these conversations? Like, tell me about that as as important to your work. Oh, I'm so honored. No one's ever asked me that question. And I'm I'm really honored that you did. Because I, it's it's actually it's a goal for me, and I'm so happy to be recognized for that. Um, and I'm very very open about all of my struggles, you know. Um, and it's interesting. My friend Nilifer Merchant just wrote a wonderful book called Onlyness, and I want to I want to suggest it to your listeners too mm. because she talks about the power that we have as someone who doesn't fit in, whether you are an entrepreneur of color in a place that looks like a bunch of all white guys, or you are an introvert, or you are 
you know, lacking a certain credential in a place that expects that credential, but you know that you have the idea and the skill that that entity needs. And I just love that because I think that, and this is another reason why I wrote the book, there are so many of us who feel that we don't fit in temperamentally into the model of success that we were all raised with, which is, let's face it, like the normative model is an alpha, white, straight man talking, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) the powerful totemic leader. And I have met too many people who don't fit that mold. We all have who have given up on their dreams and their intrinsic motivation to do something great because it's hard not to fit in. And, you know, for me, I I mean, I'm a very, I'm so privileged. I got a great education. I never, you know, I always had plenty of money. Like I, I come from privilege. So I'm very open about that. I'm, you know, I'm white, I'm all that stuff. But but my difference is that, you know, I I always was really depressed. I had panic attacks. I still have crippling anxiety. I am an introvert. My daily life is a negotiation between the piece of me that wants to hide and stay in bed, forget the bathroom, like hide in bed, and the piece of me that that wants to get out there and, and kick butt. And so I really want to talk about that. And I want to hear other leaders' stories because we're all, we're all faking it. Like, let's face it, you know, um, yes. <laughs> everyone's, yes. everyone's insecure, everyone's faking it, but we just, we can't talk about that. Mm. Mm. And that's, and I think that's like one of the, the things I find so beautiful about your work is that you are talking about it and you've got this pedigree, like this amazing background. It's like, I read it and I get intimidated because this is what we do when we look at each other online. We're like, Ooh, you know, we got, we got, it's, it's wow. Fun, yeah. That's what we do. That's why it's online. I mean, no offense. <laughs> totally. I have to make you feel that way so that you want to talk to me so that I can <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> Totally. Um, but it's, it's so impressive. And, and then hearing you also give voice to this other conversation, all part and parcel with it is such a relief to hear because, because like the world is made up of introverts and women and people who don't look a certain way. Um, yep. so f- when you are confronted with what is the quote unquote, and I'm using air quotes, but it's podcast and no one can see me. When, when you're confronted with what is normal, let's say you go into a conference room and there's a lot of really loud, lower decibel voices in that room. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the strategies that you use to stay present and stay grounded or to make sure that your ideas get the attention they deserve if maybe you don't show up in that way? Yeah. I mean, that is the question, right? For all of us. And the truth is you may not be heard. You know, we've all had that experience, I bet, of having an idea that you say in a meeting and it not being heard. And then 10 minutes later, someone else says it and it's the best idea since sliced bread. So, (laughs) you know, that's unfortunately the battle. But I mean, for me, and I, and I write this in the book, you know, I will say one thing, which is that no one is born knowing how to do Excel or PowerPoint. And most people aren't born knowing how to work a room or pitch a business case. It's a skill. And so I think, first of all, you have to recognize that it's a skill you might have to learn and you can observe other people. For me, I, I've always picked role models who I felt like had very special skills when it came to disarming people in a professional setting, wonderful social skills, working a room, selling a piece of business. And I have made it my job to study them. And 
you know, I'm not quiet. I'm an introvert, but I am not quiet. I'm loud. I talk a lot. Like I don't, and I'm also six foot one. Like I don't actually have problems taking up space. So that's not my issue. I get crippled with anxiety when I'm in a situation like that. And so I've had to learn how to turn off the anxiety so that I can focus. And the way that I've done that is by always trying to know my stuff cold, right? Like I don't, I don't usually riff. I used to riff a lot and blurt things out and it didn't work for me. So Mm. over the years, I've learned actually to sort of talk less and prepare so that, you know, I'm in control and I'm not blurting at the expense of my anxiety. And, you know, to try to beat them at their own game, honestly, you know, learn what works. I can honestly say that even though I have social anxiety and all that stuff, I I do feel like I can give a speech or pitch with the best of them because I've put in the training and the work. And so, you know, if you're driven to do work that's going to make you get out there, you need to figure out what you're going to say, how you're going to say it, what works and and practice, honestly. Mm-hmm. Who are some of your role models? You know, it's funny. My husband is one of my huge role models and I feel so lucky actually because of that. I met him at work. We both worked in politics, so we do very similar stuff. And so he taught me over the years. I just, I would just watch him in action and he is just has a wonderful way. So I've learned that my, my very first boss, um, my second boss, actually Betty Hudson, who was, uh, she's six two. So she's actually taller than me, which is really, let's face it, that's tough. And she was a cheerleader. So imagine being a six foot two (laughs) cheerleader at the university of Georgia, right? I learned from her, that woman was incredible. She just had this self-deprecating charm and style and she could just put everyone at ease. And then I, you know, I've learned, I've also learned that I, I have this sort of passion because I really like what I do. And and I don't, you know, like I don't work on Wall Street. Like I work mostly with nonprofits that support women. So I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm really honored to do my work. And so I've also learned over the years that I can own my passion and that some people might actually find that off-putting or diminishing because it's not sort of like an alpha male stance when you're selling, but that what I'm selling, I have to sell like myself. And, and it means that I like my work and I I want to do a good job for you. And I may leave money on the table sometimes when I negotiate, but I sort of have to negotiate by my, like myself. I can't put on, you know, a fake persona. So it's this interesting mix of finding role models, but also understanding your true value, your onlyness, Nilifer would call it, and how you can make that in a way that people say, oh man, I need this person in my life. I love that. I love that idea of, no, this is how I show up, right? I may not, I may not get the most dollars from this particular deal, but I'm showing up as me, which makes me feel better about the whole process and maybe gets you more results because you're showing up as you. That's really great. You know, it's funny. I have a great interview in the book with a woman named Courtney Nichols Gould, who co-founded this company, Smarty Pants Vitamins, which I don't know if you've had them. They're delicious. (laughs) Um, And she used to be a media salesperson in Silicon Alley in the late 90s. And she was an amazing salesperson. She sold ad space on websites. And she would take her clients to strip clubs. She'd take them to steakhouses and strip clubs Hmm. because that's what people did. And she wanted to be the top salesperson. And that's how she was taught to do it. And 
I can so relate to that because when we're young and ambitious, we are, of course, we follow what we're taught, right? And and if the best salespeople in your company take people out to strip clubs, then maybe that's what you're going to do. And it's only over time now, 20 plus years later that she, I mean, she said she, she, you know, she always felt awful about it. One day she woke up and she just thought, I can't do this. This is not who I am. This is terrible. Um, she had to learn over time to sell like herself, to sell in a way that really brought a true value that was a partnership. She spent a lot of years maybe even leaving money on the table as she perfected it. I certainly did. But in the end, you can't, you can't do something that makes you feel icky. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. Okay. So I want to shift and ask you about your journey in parenting. You mentioned your kids at the beginning of our conversation. Can you tell us a bit about your journey um, to becoming a parent and, and what that entailed, especially as it wove through starting your own consultancy? Yeah. I mean, I think that every first, I mean, everyone's journey is different and you never know if when you look back, you think, oh gosh, if I had only known. I got pregnant with my first son right when the Great Recession happened. So in the spring of 2008, when things were really bad, you know, into that summer. And I was just finishing graduate school and it was a really insecure time. I didn't have a job. I had these big plans, you know, I still wanted to finish. I did a joint degree. I wanted to finish my social work degree. I was in this, you know, I'm going to change my life mode still. My husband owned a small business. His business really suffered. It was the Great Recession. My parents lost a lot of money. Everyone lost so much money. And I was really anxious. And I had always been prone to depression. I had been through a couple of clinical depressions. I went into a terrible, probably my worst ever clinical depression when I was pregnant with my first son, starting at about two months in. And um, to this day, it's one of the most painful things for me to remember um, because I was pregnant. And I remember, you know, when you're pregnant, everyone's like, oh, my God, you know, they squeal, right? They squeal because we're so happy. And I was married and I was young. I was like, everyone should be so happy that this young, married, happy woman is pregnant. And so everyone would squeal and I would want to scream. Mm -hmm. I don't want this babe. I was, I was in such a state and it was really terrible. And, um, luckily I got help. I, I went on Prozac and, by the time I was well into my second trimester, it it had really resolved, I would say. And um, I was able to sort of carry out the pregnancy in a good state and, you know, had my son and, and it was wonderful. But that's a really profoundly life-changing experience. And so I've always, you know, tried to be an advocate for post and antenatal depression. I had antenatal, which means when you're pregnant, depression. Mm-hmm. Hear a lot about PPD, but you don't hear a lot about what it's like to be pregnant and depressed. And it's it's really bad. So if there's anyone out there who is going through that, you know, please get help. Talk to your doctor because you don't, you know, it sounds silly, but you don't want that. So anyway, that was hard. And then but I but I was also very lucky in that I didn't have a job when my son was born. And so I I freelanced and I was able to spend a lot of time with him and it was great. It was such a gift. My second son came very quickly after my first, and I was working a lot more by then. And my father was dying of cancer. So my father died when I was eight months pregnant with my second son. And 
that was that was hard. That was very sad. And, you know, it really took the wind out of my sails professionally, too, because it was a major, you know, just a moment. And so I felt like, you know, with my career, it was always two steps forward, two steps back. I, I ended up never going for that social work degree. I have half a social work degree. I kept doing the digital freelancing. And then I decided it would be a business. And so when my second son was, when I was just coming out of the fog, I'm trying to think, a couple months old, I really started working intensely. And I thought, this is going to be my business. I know it. It's going to be called Women Online. We're going to do digital marketing that mobilizes women for good. And I really started sort of formalizing things. And then I had my third child, Josephine, in 2014. So there's a bit of a gap between my first two and JJ. And um, with her, I took no maternity leave. You know, I just sort of worked from bed, which is cool. I'm lucky I can do that. Only to say that everyone's maternity plan and parenting plan and work is so different. (laughs) You know? Yes. And I am a big believer in thinking you know, I like, I maximize flexibility. That's always been my mantra. How much money do I have to earn to help support my family? And how can I maximize my flexibility? That's been the story of my business. It hasn't been maximizing income, frankly, or growing. It's been, how can I have these three kids, see them, (laughs) you know, work from home, which is really important for me, not just for my sort of reclusive tendencies, sentences, but also because I I love to be around during the day. Mm Mm-hmm my kids and how can i make it all work i mean that's been my quest like how can i pay the bills and get enough professional satisfaction while trying to spend as much time as possible with the kids so what does that look like on the daily basis do you have limited hours are you home when they're home from school so i wish i could say Right. I have to say it really ebbs and flows. I've had periods where I have worked very little, like a part-time schedule for the whole year. And I've had periods like right now, writing a book and running a business where I work all the time, Mm -hmm. 80 hours a week. I don't go to an office. So people still think I'm around to see the plumber and the kids still think I'm home. It's a little hard. <laughs> I mean, that is a tough thing, but I'm always working and I'm always ignoring the children and my head's down on the laptop. I feel horrible about it. So it's not predictable and you sort of do what you have to do. I mean, I've had times, you know, where I've overindulged the flexibility a little bit. I've I've spent too much time with my kids. I haven't paid enough attention to biz dev and one day I'll look at my bank account and be like, oh God, I, I guess I better get out there again. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I've had times like now where I'm putting way too much effort into work and my kids are a bit neglected. And then I also have to say, okay, I have to reset on that. Like to me, what I try to do is is every six months, I try to look at it and say, is this what you want? Is this the balance? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and And that's the best I can do, you know, but it's all about trying to maintain the flexibility. When when I feel like I'm working so much and I'm sad and I'm getting up at 4 a.m. to take the shuttle and I don't want to to Washington to see clients, I, I remind myself this is a choice. You're taking the shuttle today because you want the flexibility next week to be able to be at home, you know, when it's your daughter's first day of school or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. This is so fascinating to me. And, and I want to not rush over the story that you told too about your father dying while you were in your in the middle of your second pregnancy i think 
to pull from this a little bit, one of the things I'm hearing is that, A, life doesn't stop. It's not like we get pregnant and then everything else is just keeps on going. Oh, hell no. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, 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 and, and there's just so much that happens and it's magnified and it's harder and it's more intense. And, and it also, I, back to the theme that we were touching on before, life doesn't look a certain way either, right? There isn't a standard pregnancy. And I really appreciate what you said about, you know, people squealing. And, mm -hmm. and that, what else do they do? They touch your bump, right? They're like, let me touch your belly. You're like, no, actually, yeah. no, like, don't, no, don't touch me. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. And they have opinions. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, it's not a question. It's just kind of an acknowledgement of what a challenge it can be to be in this heightened kind of emotional and physical state, this extremeness of what pregnancy can be and to then have all of it for you, the 2008 recession and dealing with, what did you say? Antenatal depression? Is that the phrase? Antenatal. Yeah, Antenatal. Anti and then your father, like. Well, but you know, uh, look, I'm, again, I'm very privileged. I mean, everyone has some version of this. And I, and I think what worries me now about the parenting culture is that, and I can, I can so appreciate this as an ambitious overachiever who wants to study everything and know everything is that, you know, I see women who are younger than me who just want to study and know everything. And it, like, if they only plan hard enough, it's all going to work out. And we just know that that's not how life is, you mm -hmm. know? And um, it's like, you just, you just, you just want to just tell them it's going to be okay, but you don't know how it's going to look in 10 months. Yeah. You don't know who you're going to be. No. Oh, no. <laughs> it's ter it's it's one of the most terrifying prospects actually. That's at least in my experience it was like, well, and I'm a planner. I'm a, like and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to have 40 hours to do this and you just get <laughs> confronted with, oh, actually I have 4. Like and t this week I have 12. And right, and I'm so tired. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. But but I will say I think that the positive is that I mean, I working moms and working dads, but let's face it, working moms are the most efficient people in the world. Like I, <laughs> I feel like, and especially now that my youngest is two and she sleeps through the night, like I am, I am on fire. Mm -hmm. I am like a creative energy machine. So, and I wasn't like that before I had kids. I wasted so much time. So, so I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like it's a wonderful process once you come out the other end, but you sort of have to give yourself a break when you have a, you know, an infant or a young child, baby who like doesn't sleep. You, you got to give yourself a break. Mm. I think that's so important. There's actually, there's, it, you have to, because you're literally not sleeping. And that you is the equivalent to. of a mental illness is like, if you don't sleep for long enough, you are crazy. It's all in the same, uh, or you feel crazy. <laughs> so, so, but this is related to something you said before we got on the podcast, we were, we were chatting a bit before you got on and you were talking about here you are at the precipice of this book coming out. It's actually coming out in like two weeks, right? It's really soon. Um, uh, sorry if that makes you nervous. Uh, but, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> wait, so tell me, what are you feeling? What's that? Um, I don't want to curse it. I'm like, Oh God, if I talk about it, will it be bad karma? But I, um, you know, and I'm sure you can relate to this and your, and your listeners can relate to this. I have worked hard on this book and um, I wrote it for a reason. And people would always ask me like, why are you writing the book? Don't you have enough to do? And I would just be like, I don't know. I just have to, you know, I just, I, I need to write this book. It's the time. 
And um, I actually sat down like last week and I was like, why did I write this damn book? And why did I not just write it? Why am I spending all this time and money marketing it? It's like a full-time job. Let me tell you, it is a, like, it is a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Why am I doing this? And as women, A, it's really hard to say I'm doing it because I want recognition. I want renown. I want to get invited to ask to be on podcasts and speak. That makes me feel arrogant. Like that doesn't make me feel good. But I think that's part of it for sure. And 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 do I want to give high paid speeches? Like what if my life changes? Hmm. Is that really what I want? And so right now I'm sort of in this phase where I don't know what's going to happen. I love my my life and my day job, but I wrote this book. Like, what's going to happen? And um, I think that that's it's scary, but it's also really interesting for people who are thinking about a startup, starting a business, starting any kind of new venture. Like, why intrinsically are you doing this? And what will happen if you achieve your dream? <laughs> like, what if you become rich and famous? Imagine. Um, it's sort of a funny thing even to say, but. I don't know. I, I never, you know, my, my business was always such a slow growth business. I sort of know exactly what it's going to do. Like it doesn't really have many surprises. And so the idea of a book, which, which may not do anything, but might have a surprise is, is really fun. Mm. Oh, what a cool space to be in, to be at the <laughs> precipice of it, right? It's like something new and you don't like at some point there's this, this is a leap of faith that happens across entrepreneurship, across parenting, across like writing a book, which is, is huge where you kind of have to let it go and put it out in the world and, and, and say, I don't actually know, like I can't no. control. And I've had so many friends where they, their book comes out and there's a natural disaster. There's an event, there's an election, <laughs> and businesses too. You you don't always have control. And so, and that's really hard. And you can do, I had something happen to me the other day where I tried so hard. I got a real sort of PR victory and then it was snatched away from me and there was nothing I could do about it. And it sucked, mm. you know? And it's not personal, right? And this is no. the, the, like the, the crux of the uh, fickle nature of the universe we live in too. Sometimes we're just like, how, why did those things line up in that way? Interesting. Okay. So Maura, where can people find you and find out about your book and tell you how great you are? Oh, that's so nice. Um, well, they can find me at hidinginthebathroom.com or on my website, womenandwork.com. That's W-O-M-E-N-A-N-D work.com or on Twitter at Maura, A-M-M-O-R-R-A-A-M. And you know, if you go to hidinginthebathroom.com, you can sign up for my email list and I'll tell you when, where I'll be and when. And I'd love to, I'd love to hear from people also if they are ambitious introverts and, um, you know, thinking about their career. I, I find it an endlessly fascinating topic and I would love to, to learn from your listeners. Hmm. Will do. They're an amazing bunch of people and <laughs> they, I've had so many good conversations. We have a Facebook group for the startup pregnant folks and it's just so, great to have kind of like a sister tribe of women who, yes. who talk honestly about things. Like I, I feel that way when I read some of your tweets where I'm like, mm, thank God someone said something. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's how I feel about your book too. I'm like, yep, oh, I've done you. that. <laughs> totally. We've all done it. And so, and that's the other thing, just a, one last piece of advice is I'm just a huge believer in having a new mom's group where you don't have to fake it. Yes. You know, where like, if you need to cry, you can cry. 
if you need to cry more than once a day, you can cry. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, like that's the thing. Because the tears, I always feel like they're just up to your chin, right? Like, I always feel like they were, or like up to my cheekbones. They were just right there. And, and like, it didn't take very much. Like, I would read like a beautiful piece of writing and it would just like, they'd spill over. And I was like, well, this is just me on hormones, guys. Like, and no sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Maura, it's so great to talk to you. I'm so glad we got to schedule this and put this together. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Do us a favor and give us a review and a rating in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We are a brand new show and your ratings and reviews help tremendously in getting the word out. And please hit subscribe. If you want to tell your friends about it, share our website, startuppregnant.com. I also want to give a huge thank you and shout out to our show sponsors, Aeroflow Breast Pumps, Taskerly, Meet Edgar, Hippo Give, Fast Rope Labs, and Think Clearly. You guys made this show possible. One of the reasons this podcast exists in the first place is because we put out a call for sponsorships and we were overwhelmed by the response that we got. If you want to back us, head to patreon.com slash startup pregnant and become a sponsor. We have folks who contribute a few dollars a month to much more, and we would love to have your support. Our next goal is to back all of season two. So if you like what you hear and you like the stories that we're sharing and you think it's important that we build this, please, please leave a review on iTunes, hit subscribe, head over to our Patreon page. Basically, tell us that you want more of this and we will keep doing it. There are also all sorts of fun prizes and things you can get for backing at various levels of sponsorship. So if that's your jam, please do so and tell your friends about the show. That's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.